We are in Mark's Gospel, so if you will turn there, that is the second book of the New Testament. There is Matthew, and then there is Mark, and we are doing a prolonged um, line-by-line journey through uh, the Gospel of Mark. Uh, This story will unfold as we go, and over the course of the next, I don't know how many months, years that it takes us to get through Mark, um, things will build upon themselves, so it's important to try to stay up to speed as much as possible with what's going on in Mark's gospel. Uh, we, re- we saw a couple of weeks ago that the gospel begins with uh, these words, uh, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Uh, the beginning of the gospel, that word gospel means good news announcement, proclamation. And so Mark is beginning this proclamation about who God, who Jesus is, that he is the Son of God, that he is the Messiah, the Christ. Uh, by the way, if you haven't picked up a Mark journal, I think there's still a few available back there if you would like to have one of those as you're um, following along. But what Mark is talking about is a new beginning. And this announcement takes place, it's grounded in both historic and current stories. So a his- there's a history to it, uh, and it applies to the everyday. And we saw that in the very first week, that this is a story that is about the human story. Uh, that begins back in Eden. And so we looked at Eden and how this story begins within the human story. Uh, This is a story that is written in the context of the story of the people of God, the nation of Israel. And so we looked at Eden, we looked at Israel. And then Mark writes his narrative, his story, to a group of Jesus' followers living in the Roman Empire, in in the city of Rome. And so it was a message written to a group of particular followers of Jesus living in a particular context in Rome. And so it is a story that applies to the very first story, the story of God's people developing over God's redemptive history. And then it continues to focus upon current stories all the way from the Roman Christians until our story today. And it is a story of new beginnings. Um, Last week, we were introduced into this kind of nonconformist dude that came out of the desert wearing Uh, this wilderness garb named John the Baptizer. And John steps into the Elijah forerunner role uh, to announce the arrival of the Messiah. His message was pretty simple. Repent uh, from your sins and identify with this group of God followers through baptism. We also walked last week through the message on um, Jesus' baptism and his temptation, which are very brief in Mark's gospel, like most of Mark's um, accounts. And these, this is the affirmation of Jesus by God, as God, that he is God, that he is affirmed by God. We saw the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all there, the Trinity there, affirming Jesus as God through baptism and then his temptation. And then our text today, uh, there is a, a shift that takes place in the gospel that will kind of set the tone for the first half of the book. And so let's look at Mark chapter 1, verse 14, um, at the shift that takes place in the narrative here. Uh, Verse 14 of chapter 1, now after John was arrested, so this baptizer that we were introduced to last week has now been arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel. So here we are, good news again, proclaiming the gospel, this good news announcement of God And then here is the content of what Jesus had to say. So this is important. The content of this good news announcement is vital. 
Okay, this is not like everything Jesus had to say, but this is it in a nutshell. And what Jesus had to say was, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the gospel. And so everything that we learned about what Jesus says in the rest of the gospel of Mark comes back to these simple words found at the very beginning of Mark's gospel. That the heart of the proclamation, the message of Jesus are these words. These words of fulfillment and the invasion of God's kingdom and the response to that to repent and believe in this good news. Now, I don't know who you've heard preach in your lifetime. If you've heard some people that would be considered famous preachers or not, I've heard uh, Billy Graham preach uh, one time in person. I've heard some others uh, preach that had big followings or well-known people or whatever. Uh, but today we're hearing the, the heart of the message of Jesus. And so those are important words. What Jesus had to say. And I'm afraid sometimes our messages in 2022 and throughout church history haven't always matched what Jesus had to say in his proclamation of good news. But it's important. Um, this is kind of the press conference to signify the start up of Jesus' public ministry. And so we find a few significant details here. Um, one, John's arrested. Okay, the baptizer is arrested. This word arrested is, a, um, is the idea of being handed over to someone. Matter of fact, it's the same uh, word that Mark will use later in his gospel when he's talking about the arrest of Jesus, that Jesus will be handed over. And so we see John not only as the forerunner of Jesus in his message, but he's the forerunner of Jesus in his fate, that he also will be handed over and eventually killed. Um, he'll be murdered. And we'll, we'll see more of that in chapter 6 when we get there in, I don't know, 2024. 20, um, but that's to come. Um, the second kind of transition that takes place here is not only John arrested, but Jesus takes center stage. Jesus comes proclaiming this message of good news. And his content is very simple. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. His call to action, his response to that, right? Repent and believe the good news. So let's break down the message of Jesus today. Uh, Mark's language takes the reader back to this previous story we talked about, the story of Israel. Now, the, the people of Israel had this eager longing for a Messiah who was going to establish God's rule on earth and set them free. Ash read um, Isaiah 61, the first few verses in the um, call to worship today. I'll go back to it to kind of uh, put it into context here. Now, this is the prophet Isaiah speaking of the year of the Lord that was to come, which they would identify with the Messiah. So look at the language that he uses here about this coming Messiah. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Okay, so you can see the kind of language there that we saw last week in the baptism of the, 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 uh, the ascension of the Holy Spirit upon Jesus. Uh, because the Lord has anointed me. So again, the language that we found in the baptism. And then look at these purposes to bring good news. There's our phrase, bring gospel news, announcement of good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up uh, the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So listen again to the language here, Lord's favor, the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress, the oil of gladness, the garment of praise. And so this language, again, um, this is language that first century Jewish people would have understood uh, was the, the promise of a Messiah. 
And Jesus is the fulfillment of these type promises. That's a part of Mark's story here uh, to Israel, that Jesus fulfills these promises. And that's why the content of the message of Jesus is initially so attractive to his audience. That's why when Jesus comes on the scene, and let's break these phrases down, and says, the time is fulfilled. The time has come. It's now. The time has arrived. The Messiah is here. The promises have been fulfilled. This word time here is a couple of different words for time that we translate time. One of them is the word chronos, which uh, we get our word chronology, okay, like the study of time. Uh, the idea of chronos is the progress over time. So it's just history and how time kind of moves progressively um, throughout time. Uh, the other word that's used here is the word keros, and that word means uh, a, an opportune time, like this season, this moment, like grasp the moment, take the moment. It's not just the progression of time over history, but it's like opportune times within history. It's the same word that Paul uses in Galatians when he says that uh, when the right time came, God sent his son. When the opportune time came, God sent his son. That's the word here. The time is now. The opportune time is now. The Messiah has come to fulfill God's promises. And then he uses this language. The kingdom, kingdom of God is at hand. It is upon us. There's an urgency here. Jesus is saying a new king has arrived. A new government will be established. New power, new authority, new dominion. I mean, again, this is the gospel of beginnings and the kingdom of God, think about that, kingdom of God, God's kingdom, that's God's rule, it's God's reign. Any space where God rules and reigns is his kingdom. Think about this phrase in the most popular prayer, the Lord's Prayer. When they ask Jesus, teach us how to pray. Within that prayer, Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, what, thy kingdom come can't separate that phrase from the next one thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is where in heaven so think about that and the idea of God's kingdom what is God's kingdom put it in the context of the Lord's prayer God's kingdom is the will of God being done thy kingdom come thy will be done Wherever God is ruling and reigning, right, that is God's kingdom. And so, again, in the Lord's Prayer, the words of Jesus is, that's happening in heaven. God's will is being done in heaven. He is ruling and reigning in heaven. And then the Lord's Prayer is, as is what's happening in heaven, may it also be done on earth. And so there's this idea that God is ruling and reigning completely and sovereignly in heaven, but that has not yet been fully fulfilled on earth. That at some point, God's rule and reign will take place completely on earth as it is in heaven. Heaven is a space where God's will is being accomplished and fulfilled in every way all the time. Earth is this space where God's absolute rule, reign, and will has not yet been fulfilled, has not yet been completed. And so when Jesus shows up on the scene announcing the good news of God's kingdom has come to earth, initially this, 
announcement is this welcomed message among God's people. I mean, think about if I'm a first century Jew. I have this eager anticipation and this desperate longing for a promised Messiah who I believe will institute this earthly, largely political dynasty. And he's going to rule and reign from this earthly throne. So if I'm a first century Jew, here's what that means. The Messiah is going to oust the the Romans, get rid of the earthly kings. He's going to vanquish evil. He's going to vindicate the righteous. And Israel would become the most powerful kingdom on earth. That's how a first century Jew would be thinking in this day and age about the Messiah. And why would he not be thinking that way? This predominant mindset was based largely on literally hundreds if not thousands of Old Testament prophecies that seemed to support this widespread belief. Like think about if I'm a first century Jew, just what I read in Isaiah 61. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking if I just read Isaiah 61 that this Messiah is coming to do what? Overthrow earthly kings. Vindicate the righteous. Vanquish evil. Set up an earthly kingdom. Like that's the language of a lot of Old Testament prophecy. And so obviously, as they're anticipating this Messiah, that's what they're expecting. And then Jesus arrives on the scene and says, the time's fulfilled. The kingdom has come. Now, what we will quickly discover in Mark's gospel is that the invasion of God's kingdom is far different than what they were anticipating. Jesus is not the Messiah that they were awaiting The king arrives, but his kingdom is not exactly what they were expecting. And there'll be a lot more on that to come. Now, before we're kind of sitting back in 2022 and thinking, man, how ignorant were they? Our tendency, our tendency now, same way, is to make the kingdom of God, the arrival of Jesus, Jesus' rule and reign, look a lot like we want it to look, right? That, hey, if there's going to be a time when, you know, nations are going to turn to God and we're going to be whatever, a Christian nation with Jesus on the throne. We have that kind of mindset a lot of times. We have a similar mindset as what we see in first century Judaism. Now, we, at a certain level, misunderstand what the, the rulership of God on earth looks like, the Messiahship of Jesus and what its intention was. And so we'll come back to that as we go through Mark's gospel to try to unpack some of our tendencies and the lens that we tend to read into Jesus, the life perspective that we have about Jesus and how it kind of follows along with what we think. Now, we're going to come back to the content in just a moment of the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God. Uh, but think of, look at this twofold response that this gospel announcement calls for. Um, One, Jesus says, repent. Uh, This word, um, repent, uh, the original language is the word metanoia. It means to change your mind, to reorder your life. If it is a visual, it is doing a 180, that I'm going one direction and I turn and go the opposite direction. It is a reorienting of my thinking. So, In the context of this message regarding God's kingdom, think about repentance is to rethink, it is to reorient my life under God's rule and reign. That his kingdom 
takes precedence in my life. It is turning from myself and turning to God. His rule and reign over me. His rule and reign in my heart and life. His rule and reign in my agenda. His rule and reign in my choices. His rule and reign in my future. His rule and reign over every component of my life. To reorient my thinking, my heart, my mind toward he's in control and I'm not. So here's what that does for us. Repentance is deeper than I'm sorry for my sins. Repentance is deeper than I'm sorry for my sins. Repentance is recognizing and turning away from my self-focused way of life and surrendering to His rule and His reign in my life. It's open hands living. It's God, you got this. I'm yours. Now, we'll come back to, again, break down repentance a little more in a moment. We talked, touched on it some last week. But look at this second word here, repent and believe. Now, I want to make sure that we understand believe here is not some kind of fairy tale like I believe and um, I, b- I believe in Disney characters or Tinkerbell um, fairy belief or I believe in Santa Claus. It's like not that type of belief. Belief here is the idea of trust. It is the, it's more than just acknowledging a truth claim. It's more than just saying, I believe in Jesus, that he lived and died. The idea of belief here is the idea of trust to the point that I will stake my life on this claim. I will stake my life on it. Here's how I'll illustrate it. I can say that I believe if I get on an airplane that is headed toward, we'll just use some West Coast city. We'll use San Diego. It's a beautiful, warm city. Let's just say that um, I believe that a plane can get me to San Diego. I can say that all day long. Belief becomes trust when I sit down in a seat, strap myself in, make sure my mask is in place, if you're flying, and fly on a plane to San Diego. Understand the difference? It's the difference in me saying, I believe this plane can take me to San Diego in saying, I believe to the point I'm putting my trust in this plane. I'm willing to stake my life on the belief that this plane can get me from point A to point B. I have a pointed question for all of us. Who or what am I trusting in for my worldview, my Life perspective. Here's the reality for each of us. We are trusting someone or something as the primary source of authority for our truth. As our worldview is the language that we use. We're trusting someone or something. Let me break it down where we can understand it. Who or what are we trusting? Are we trusting in what we hear on Fox News to establish our truth claims? Are we trusting in what CNN has to say to establish our truth claims? And if you're the Fox News person, when I say CNN, you're like, no, we're not. 
you're the CNN person, not say Fox News, you're like, well, there's no way we're trusting them. But we're trusting someone or something. Are we trusting Ben Shapiro as our source of truth? Like, is Sean Hannity our truth claim person? Like, this is a person that we listen to for our truth claims? Is it Anderson Cooper? Like, who or what are we listening to that is our source of truth, source of authority in our lives? Is it a religion? Like, at the end of the day, Jesus' claims are that. They are this. I'm claiming that I am the truth. I want to be your truth claim source. And you're looking to someone or something for that. Millions and billions of people around the world look to a different religion than what we believe is the truth. They're staking their life, their worldview on that belief. Is it science? Is it, I don't know, random person on the internet? That's a source of authority, right? By the way, watching five YouTube videos about something doesn't make you an expert about it, right? What is my truth claim? Who or what am I trusting in as my truth source? You may know you how, let, let you know how the defining that is for you. Here's where the rubber meets the road. Because here's the key. All of us will say it's Jesus, right? That I'm placing my everything on Jesus. Trust is... Is this person making this truth claim trustworthy? Can they be trusted with my life? With my life perspective? That I am willing to place my everything on this claim, on this person. In this case, in who Jesus is. That I am willing to place my everything on who Jesus is. Here's the key indicator on how to examine your heart on this. Do my actions support what I claim to believe about this? Because trust translates into actions. So instead of maybe pointing the finger at yourself and saying, who or what is my truth source? Because we're pretty jaded. We're not going to be like, oh yeah, Ben Shapiro is my truth source, right? Here's the real question. Who or what with those who know me say is my truth source am I more known for my political views than how desperately I want to follow Jesus am I more known for the sports team I pull for than my alliance to Jesus that's, that's the point of the questions right if I were to take a survey, an anonymous survey with your family, your friends, those that work with you, those who are the closest to you, and they were to say to you, to me, what is the person, the thing, the view, the what, the who, that Devin, right? When I say Devin, in your conversations with Devin, what are the things that take most precedence in those conversations? There's where your truth sources lie. Repent. And trust, Jesus said. And this is, this, is, this is me preaching to me, by the way. Because it gets really quiet when we start going in this direction. I get it, right? That's why this is us, right? This is our journey. And Mark speaking to Devin as much as he speaks to all of us. Jesus says, the time has been fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. 
Will you reevaluate your current worldview and realign your life under the rule and reign of God? Let me make that practical for two different audiences right now. If you are not a follower of Jesus, if you're not a follower of Jesus, repentance and belief, repentance and faith are expressed by identifying with Christ. We see that most clearly in this context through baptism. That was the message of John the the baptizer. Being baptized, this is important to say in our cultural context because there's some that do not teach this in our cultural context. Being baptized does not make you a follower of Jesus. But listen, it is a public identity that confirms repentance and faith. So if you are not a follower of Jesus, the invitation in this text is to turn to Jesus, to reorient your life toward his rule and reign. And one of the public steps or expressions of that faith and repentance is to identify with Jesus through baptism. I am identifying with him. If you are a follower of Jesus, which is most of us in this room, repentance and trust are ongoing expressions of our allegiance to our King and to live life in His kingdom. Here's what we tend to do. We tend to reduce repentance and faith to a momentary transaction. Repeat these words. I am sorry for my sins and I believe in Jesus. And abracadabra, you are given a ticket to heaven. Or a get out of hell card. It's kind of how I felt as a kid. All right. You've been in that environment, you grow up in environments like that, where there's a bunch of kids in the room, it's like, how many of you want to go to heaven with all your family and friends? How many of you want to go to hell and burn through eternity? If you don't want to go to hell, pray this prayer, right? It is why, it is why, now hear me carefully right here, I want to walk carefully. It is why I personally asked Jesus into my heart repeatedly as a kid. Anybody with me on this? If I didn't get it right the first time, I really mean it this time. I have a friend named J.D. Greer that wrote a book called Stop Asking Jesus Into Your Heart. The thrust of the book is the idea of repentance and faith, and belief in Christ, and realigning our lives according to the gospel. Now, here's why I want to walk carefully. There is a spiritual awakening that takes place in this process through the initiation of the Holy Spirit when we are transferred from the realm of death to the realm of life. That transition happens Real life, real time. There's a time that happens when that transition happens, where through the work of the Holy Spirit, my heart is awakened to the gospel, regenerated, become a follower of Christ. So I do not want to take away from that. I believe that transfer happens. Here's what I want to emphasize. That looks very different 
for a lot of different people. We tend to want to make it what we want it to look like or how we experienced. And I'm not sure it's always as time-stamped as we like to make it. You know what I'm saying? I'll illustrate it. It was often times that I would hear when people would come to faith in Christ, take out a pen and write in the front of your Bible, I became a Christian on March the 3rd in 1984. And whenever the devil whispers in your ear, you're not really saved, go back to the front of your Bible and look at that. That's your transfer moment. I'm not sure it's that, quite that time stamped. Now listen, this is different for every person. It is that for some people. Some people that come to faith, they know that moment. This is when I became a Christian. Everything changed on his head. For others, it's a process. For others, it's a time, over time, they come to believe. They come to turn from their sins. And that's why I think baptism kind of enters this picture is important because baptism is kind of a defining moment to say, I identify with Jesus. Now, I believe your transfer from death to life happens prior to baptism, should happen prior to baptism, or maybe even at the moment of baptism in the sense of I'm putting my faith in Christ in this moment. But it looks different for every person. But I'm afraid we've kind of re reduced repentance and faith into that world. But repentance and faith should not be restricted to a momentary act that provides entrance into God's kingdom. It's deeper than that. We especially tend to think of repentance like this. As if the Christian life is somehow triggered or ignited through repentance and then it's fed by faith and works. But as we discussed briefly last week, as the reformer Martin Luther taught, all of life is repentance. We repent our way forward. Now, unfortunately, unfortunately, we tend to have a shallow view of our own sin, which causes us to have a very shallow view of repentance. And our need for it. That's a message I can't get into. Kingdom living is repent, right? Repent and keep on repenting. Important. Not to maintain your citizenship in the kingdom. That happens at entrance point. Not to maintain your citizenship, but to live under the good and gracious rule of this sovereign king. That's where repentance comes in. And we also live out our lives in trust. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, that I live by faith. I live by faith. I live by faith. That faith is our normal, that we walk by faith, we move forward by faith, that we navigate life moment by moment, trusting God, that our life posture as a citizen in the kingdom is looking to Jesus day after day after day. Repentance, turning from myself. Belief, turning to Jesus. You can't have one without the other. Repentance that does not turn to Jesus is not true repentance. Trust that has not first turned from self to Jesus is not genuine faith. If you are traveling in the wrong direction in order to get corrected, you have to turn from the wrong direction and simultaneously begin to travel in the right direction. If you find me on I-65 driving toward Nashville and you stop me, right? Walter pulls me over and says, Devin, you're driving 95 and I've said I'm driving north on 65 and I say, Walter, one, 
please don't give me a ticket. Two, I'm trying to, the reason I'm driving so fast is because I'm trying to get to Birmingham as quickly as possible. He'll look at me and say, you're not going to Birmingham. You're driving north on 65 to Nashville. And I say, thanks for not giving me a ticket. You're an awesome friend. I want to head on my way to Birmingham. And I leave and I keep going north. Walter's like, he deserves a ticket now just for that. <laughs> no, he would look at me like I was a fool. Why would you keep driving north? I told you, south is the way to Birmingham. I would have to turn my car from going north and turn and start going south simultaneously going in the opposite direction in order to get to my destination. Repent and trust. It is turning from self. Turning to Jesus simultaneously. And this turning from sin and to Jesus takes place. The Holy Spirit awakens our dead hearts to the good news of the gospel. And we are welcomed as citizens of God's kingdom. Kingdom living. Repent and trust. And that means that from that moment, we continue to repent. We continue to trust. Our citizenship is secure. But living life in the kingdom is a life of ongoing repentance and ongoing trust. Kingdom living is about gospel living too, right? Gospel people. A good news announcement. Right? Listen. The gospel is a good news announcement that is not merely a presentation that a Christian gives a non-Christian hoping they convert. That's kind of what we've made the gospel. This kind of information packet of like, I'm a Christian, you're not, I'm trying to convert you, here's the information you need to know to be converted. That's what we tend to turn the gospel into. But the gospel's more than information. The gospel is a way of life. It is a good news. It is a good news announcement that God's kingdom has invaded the world in Jesus and we are invited to follow him, to live as kingdom citizens. You've heard me say this before. I will say it a million other times. The gospel's not just the front door. The gospel's the entire house. The gospel's not just the diving board to get you into the pool. The gospel is the pool. We live in the gospel. Kingdom living is made up of gospel people who embody this grace-filled rule and reign of God in our lives. And we live as people who serve and sacrifice and love and have compassion and care for the poor and confess our sins and forgive others. We are people who follow King Jesus. Let me quote Dane Ortland here who wrote, Gentle and Lowly, and who also just released a book called Deeper on um, Gospel Christian Living. That's just phenomenal. Um, here's what Ortland writes in Deeper about this topic. Repentance and faith must never be viewed in isolation from Jesus himself. They are connectors to Christ. Listen, they are not our contribution. It's not, we're, we're bringing repentance and faith to the table in this. Repentance and faith are not our contribution. They are roads by which we get to the real healing, which is Christ, Christ himself. So as you repent, 
agonizing over the desolation that is wrought by our failures and weaknesses and inadequacies. Let your despair, let your repentance take you way down deep into honesty with yourself. And then here's what I love. Listen to what Ortland says in this transition. Let it take you deep where you can be honest with yourself. For there you will find a friend. The living Lord Jesus himself. Who will startle and surprise you with his gentle goodness. As you leave self behind in repentance and bank on him afresh again and again in faith. That's kingdom living. Repent, believe, live in the gospel. Now, I want to close this out, but before we end, I have to state the obvious. It does not always feel like the kingdom of God has come. You with me? The brokenness, the evil, the suffering, the pain, the wickedness of the world around us may lend us to believe the opposite. It doesn't always feel like God's kingdom has arrived. I mean, have you watched the news? It doesn't always feel like God's kingdom has arrived. So important right here. Jesus inaugurates a kingdom that has not yet accomplished its fulfillment. Kingdom living is recognizing that we live in this already but not yet tension of history. We've talked about this a little bit before. This already but not yet tension. Here's what that means. We experience both the not yet of God's kingdom. Here's what the not yet is. Cancer, sickness, temptation, sin, brokenness, evil, disease, viruses. This is the not yet component of the kingdom. And at the same time, we experience the inbreaking of God's kingdom, the already part of God's kingdom. Here's what that is. Healing. The cancer is gone. The sickness is cured. The medicine worked. Right? Joy, peace, hope, fulfillment. These are the already components of the kingdom that we experience every day as citizens in the kingdom. And so we live in this not yet with the brokenness of the world and this already tension of human history. The kingdom has been inaugurated, but it has not been completed. Here's the promise of Jesus. It will be accomplished. It will be completed. It will be accomplished. One day, God's rule and reign will be permanently established in heaven and on earth. Our king is returning. 
And he will gather the citizens of his kingdom from all over the world around his throne. And guess what? The wrong will be made right. Sin and disease and decay and death and evil and injustice and abuse and violence and evil and every other broken component composed of this earthly kingdom will be vanquished and removed for all eternity. And his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He will rule and reign as the one true king, a king who is good and gracious. And in the meantime, we repent, we trust, we live with urgency, and we go back to the gospel, the good news announcement, again and again and again, as we live moment by moment as his citizens.